Hello and welcome to Making Say in the podcast, Breaking the Sigma. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by Leanne from the charity No Nut Traveller. And I think if you've got a food allergy in your flight, then you might be aware of the kind of incredible work she does. On a blog and testimonials, she kind of gathers like people's experiences flying with kind of different airlines and kind of shares that. And by doing that, I think her petitions have just been so important and she kind of helped towards airlines in the US. Now, if you've got food allergies, class as a disability. So you can board earlier to kind of clean down the surface to kind of reduce that risk of kind of cross-contamination. And flying with an allergy is, is something which has been a hot topic this week. It's something I get asked so much in my DMs, like, can you fly with this airline? Or what's your experience flying with this? Or is airborne allergies? I get asked all these questions. And on the podcast, we kind of discuss all these questions. And with Leanne's experiences, she puts all her kind of research and energy into kind of airlines and food allergies. It's great to really kind of pick your brains about this. So if you are kind of hesitant or you do suffer with anxiety flying with an allergy, then hopefully this podcast might help to kind of get her experience on it. But I think Leanne is just such a trailblazer within kind of the allergy community. She speaks so openly and honestly about her experience of the awful encounter, what happened to her son with airlines not taking it seriously. But also, she's also a featured contributor for the Huffington Post, Kevin MD, and the airline correspondent for Allergic Living. Um, so yeah, if you do have a food allergy and you obviously want to get all these questions answered, then make sure to give the podcast a listen. Um, and if you can kind of subscribe to the podcast, I really appreciate it. And finally, just before we jump into the podcast, I've just recently set up a Patreon page to support the Making Same Podcast. And honestly, I really appreciate all the support you guys give me, but kind of like running the podcast, it can get quite expensive with the overhead costs. Also, like I've upgraded all the equipment this year because I just want to make it the best podcast I physically can, but I can't do that without you guys' support. So yeah, I've set up a, a kind of like a, a tier or like Patreon where you can kind of support the podcast, where you get kind of early access to the podcast videos, but also as well, there's a tier where you can get live Q&As every month on Zoom where you guys can join and ask me questions in person. So yeah, I'll make sure to leave a link in the description below if you guys want to check it out. But honestly, I kind of appreciate all your support if you get a chance to be a member of the Patreon. So yeah, anyway, with all that out of the way, grab yourself a cup of tea. Let's jump into the podcast. Leanne, thank you so much for coming on the Making Say podcast today. How are you? I'm doing very well. And yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Are you based in New York? Is that correct? New Jersey, actually. New Jersey, okay. So is it 145 over there at the minute? Uh, yes, 152, yeah. if you want to be exact. 152 to be exact. <laughs> no, honestly, it's a pleasure to kind of have you on the podcast. For anyone who's not heard of your blog, No Nut Traveler, would you just like to do like a brief introduction um, into your blog? Yes, it's not even a, I'm still, I still have a website, but I am now an official nonprofit in the United States. I'm a 501c4, um, focused on advocacy, specifically on airlines, but not going to just stay there, um, using grassroots advocacy to support people living with food allergies, whether they're on the ground or in the air. And um, along the way, I've become a writer. I'm the chief airline correspondent for Allergic Living. And I also write for Kevin MD. I used to write for Huffington Post. And I was republished along with Ruchi Gupta's group, specifically lead author Chris Warren, about a almost 5,000 person survey on experiences 
uh, passengers who fly with food allergies. And we can get into some of that research. And it's really, really exciting. I was just at the Quad AI meeting where Chris Warren presented it. And um, it's it's not surprising to me. It probably won't be surprising to you, but some of the results may be surprising to people who treat us. Incredible. And honestly, yeah, I'm really excited to kind of kind of talk about that and kind of the findings which you kind of found out. With a podcast, I always like to kind of talk about a bit about the person and kind of your upbringing and stories, because there's a few connections in my life, which has kind of made me obviously set up making same, for example, with your kind of upbringing, obviously you, you've obviously now very vocal um, on own, no nuts traveler and obviously getting the messaging out there as a kid, was you always very confident? No, definitely no. not. Okay. not a, you know, I'm not a writer. Um, I'm actually a physical therapist by training, though I do not practice. My license is current. Um, I mean, yes, I always, uh, I guess, like to advocate for other people, whatever social justice issues, whether it be homelessness or women's rights. Mm. So I I guess I have a little bit of of that in me. But as far as like what I'm doing now, no, if you like gave me a crystal ball, I would tell you that there was no way that I was going to stand up in front of a lot of people and airlines and FAA and, and speak to people about policies. No, I, I wouldn't say that. It was really, you know, sticking up for my son who has a life-threatening penile allergy and seeing all the pushback from the industry, from, you know, just from people around us that, you know, you, it's one thing to have an injustice happen to yourself. It's another thing to have it happen to your child and then think that that could affect his or her future choices. So I think it really came from there. Yeah. And you've got, is it three children? I have three children. Only my youngest has a nut allergy. And Joshua has got an allergy. Do you remember how old was he when he when you found out about his allergy? Well, when he was one, he was diagnosed with an egg allergy and they told me he wasn't allergic to peanuts. And, you know, the advice at the time was don't serve him any until he's two. So when he was two, um, he asked for a bite of my peanut butter sandwich and I gave it to him and he just got like a little smear of peanut butter on his lip mm. and literally head to toe hide. Straight Couldn't. away, yeah. Thankfully, we had an auto injector from the egg allergy diagnosis. And I kept saying to myself, because it was an unknown bread that I had given him, and I kept saying, maybe the bread had egg, maybe the bread had egg. You know, I was just hoping. Yeah. And of course, it, it was. So, so is, it, is it just egg and peanuts he's allergic to, I Joshua? Used to be allergic to all tree nuts, um, peanuts, and egg. And he outgrew all tree nuts and egg oh amazing just peanut yeah how how is it because i know in in the uk it's actually quite hard to get an appointment um i get a lot of parents kind of reach out to me trying to get appointment for the kids to do kind of the allergy test was it quite difficult for yourself in the u.s it's really not that difficult um in our area there are a lot of specialists definitely places in the united states that they don't have a lot of board certified allergists so then you absolutely do see that we've really fortunate in new york new jersey area that there are a lot of physicians having having said that like getting a food challenge is often very very difficult so like i said like we thought my son had outgrown egg and tree nuts and you know in new york it would have taken me a year to get a challenge and then i did it in new jersey and it, you know so you, you have to be flexible and think out of the box um yeah. but yeah i mean he'd probably still be avoiding them you know it's just that's it, it can it can be frustrating yeah How's it been with, you know, obviously, recently, obviously, desensitization, where obviously they give 
kids under kind of medical supervision a bit of peanuts until they come kind of immune to it. You mean oral? Are you talking about oral? oral? I mean, it works for yeah. a lot of people. I mean, but for a lot of people, it doesn't work. You yeah. know, some people have reported their kids getting EOE. Some people have reactions while doing the treatment and that's enough for them to stop. And for some people, it's utterly life-changing. Uh, for my son, we chose to put him in a clinical trial when he was eight. Uh, of the peanut patch and he's still wearing it nine years later so my advocacy hat has been seeing how long it takes the fda to approve a drug and and we've been very frustrated at the slow pace especially since the patch works best at young ages and i've never really yeah i don't really know too much about the patch then is it just a patch on the yeah peanut and it's getting into your skin and desensitizing you and really the only side effect is sometimes like some itchiness or redness at the patch site However, the flip side is you don't know how how much protection you really had unless you do an oral food challenge. And he's, you know, many yeah. years away from that, that we've done that. So uh, we're probably due to do one soon just to see how he's doing. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, how is Joshua? In, obviously, is he quite vocal about his allergy? I know a lot of children now kind of suffer with anxiety, some that I've experienced later on in life. How has Joshua been with his allergies? I don't think he suffers from anxiety, but I do think based on all the advocacy we've done. I mean, he's gone to um, places where the patch company, he's spoken about, you know, being in a clinical trial and he doesn't have any problem with public speaking. But I think at this point, like he's a top 50 in the U.S. tennis player. um, 17. I I don't think he wants to be defined by his allergy, you know? Yeah, I think that's so important as well. Yeah, He will speak up about it and he'll talk to chefs and he'll carry his auto injector. But um, I don't think... Especially since my whole being is about like advocacy on, based upon what happened with him, I think his uh, his being right now is is to not really focus on the allergy. And sometimes that can be frustrating to me. If he does, he has left his auto injector, hasn't everybody yeah, yeah. auto injector somewhere at, at some point? So, and I think that's what's so scary to us when we hear of cases that. Are, are fatal and, and thankfully they're so rare but the mistake that led to them is not a rare mistake so you know when you can reclaim having made that same mistake as a parent or even as a person with the allergy you know that's that's when like those low statistics don't really make you feel better <laughs> yeah or, I, they make you feel as um as confident as i think those people are, that are handing those statistics out want you to feel you, imagine, you said obviously he's in the top 50 in the US um, within kind of like tennis. Is, is that something he's been very passionate about doing from a very young age? Yes, since he's three. Yeah. <laughs> he picked yeah. up a tennis. Uh, yeah, the rest of us don't play tennis. So it's really self-driven on his part. And um, it's it's been interesting as he learns how to manage his allergy and doing that. And, you know, because he's part of like a circuit of kids from the from the Eastern Division where we live, they kind of know to look out for him. So it's 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 been really good. Like I have actually seen other people snacking on peanuts before a match and one of Josh's friends going up to him and go, yo, dude, you know, you've yeah. you got to go brush, you, know, you got to go wash your hands properly. You know, so I think like other people look out for him. It's been it's been really, really nice to see, um, because actually when we first started in into the tennis world, there was someone else older than me who had kids with allergies and 
she told me like kids would intentionally eat the product that their kid was allergic to to psych them out before a match. And thank you. Yeah, I heard we, you said that on the. We have not yeah, encountered um, whether or not that's going to come up in college. I don't know as things get more and more competitive, but we've been very. Yeah, I heard very you say that on the podcast, and I was I was I was so shocked by that as well. Um, how's yeah. it been then? Obviously, with does he just like bring his own food? How's it been? Obviously, in regards to hobbies, his allergies, and making sure to, to kind of reduce that kind of risk of cross contamination. Well, um, for now, we really it's not that we have certain chains that we feel really safe with, and we usually search out where those chains are going to be. So, if the chain is going to be near where the tournament is, then we're good to go because we know we always have backup, and then we always bring tons of snacks and safe granola bars and obviously we always have way more than what we need at least triple what we need yeah. you know if you're gonna have delays you don't know in fact one tournament they got there and it was thanksgiving weekend and nothing and that chain was not open for the for thanksgiving night right you know and like of course if you really think about it how could we expect that they'd be open but yeah. i wasn't with Call me up and he's panicked and he's like, you know, they're closed tonight. I'm like, well, that's why you have instant mac and cheese. That's why you have, you know, I had, I had said that is why all that food that you complain that I'm taking up in your suitcase, but actually now you're going to use it, you know, as long as, and we always make sure we have a room with a microwave and a refrigerator at a minimum. So does he, does he travel quite a lot around the U S is it, is it all over then? Is it in different, different countries as well? Not yet. He's not. The kids that are on the circuit that um, are homeschooled, they do what are called ITFs. And most of them, yes, are in all different countries. But we have him in a regular school, so he can't take off that much time. Um, he might not be happy with us for that, but that's what we chose to do. So right now, it's just travel in the United States. Yeah, and, and I kind of heard like one kind of really scary experience you had um, where he was it was he at a tournament and he, he felt like he couldn't breathe and he went inside oh, and found a foxy shot. My husband decided to try to cheer him up when he lost a match and and they had a good amount of time in between and he took him to Dairy Queen which has peanuts all over the place right it's just not I wouldn't choose that place at home never mind away when he's playing and we do have a rule now like like I thought we had the rule before but now we have the rule set in stone that there's nothing new being tried at a tournament no new place even Oh, that it's safe. No new dessert. No, no, nothing new. Um, but he gave him the Dairy Queen. It was just plain vanilla soft serve. So there must have been some con- cross contamination. And he started playing the next match. And the opponent said that he started coughing a lot. And then he took a knee. And then he said, I can't breathe. So they went to the ER and he was fine, thankfully. But, you know, lesson was learned by him and his father. Yeah, I know. It's so I I know I I live with an allergy myself, and like even when I'm 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 abroad, I try not <laughs> risk eating something brand new unless I know it's completely <laughs> gonna be safe. Like, if we go back to kind of 2013 and your experience with Joshua um, at the airport, can we can can we kind of discuss that of what happened? Yeah, we were. He was eight at the time, and we were waiting to board a plane. And there was someone sitting right behind us in the departure lounge, and everyone else in our group, except me and Josh, buy snacks. But I had Josh's safe snacks with me, and I had told him he couldn't even go with his brother and sister because the chocolate store they were going to was making a fresh peanut butter fudge. So the woman heard me say to Josh he couldn't go with them, 
And she turned around and she said, does your son have an allergy? And I said, yes, he has an anaphylactic peanut allergy. She goes, well, you better move. We're all going to eat peanuts here. Totally fine. I appreciate the heads up. We're in the departure lounge. And I moved like sort of across the way. And her three sons followed us and they started throwing peanuts up in their mouths, missing them on purpose, crushing them under their feet and then sort of pushing the dust towards us. Um, and so last scary, yeah. So at this point, I had already ascertained that they were going to be on our flight. So I stood on the customer service line. I get to the front of the customer service line. And they're like, we're sorry, ma'am. This is not a customer service issue. I'm like, what is a customer service issue then? So then yeah. I asked this managers at Denver Airport and the last United manager looked at me and he looked at Josh and he said, well, if you think he's going to die, just don't get on the plane. At which point, Josh, who had never Shocking, been scared yeah. of allergy, became scared and we did not board that plane because he said, you can't put me on that plane, mom. The mom man says I could die, please. I'm only eight. I've got my whole life ahead of me. And so I, I you know, I sketched out something the next day on like what I wanted my, I still have the sketch, like what I wanted my website to look like, that I wanted other people to have a place to share their testimonials, that I wanted a place that like you could click and file um, a complaint to the DOT. And, you know, because I started researching and my story was like the tamest, you know, I wasn't kicked mm. off. You know, yes, that man was very rude and demeaning to me, but there were far more egregious situations out there. And I wasn't, you know, I, I found, I found my niche, you know, I figured, you know, do something about this. This yeah, is I was like gonna say acceptable to me because even at eight, he was playing in tennis tournaments, and I thought to myself, he's gonna need to fly one day to these tournaments, and I'm not gonna let an airline's policy or lack thereof determine his passion and what he wants to do with his life one day. I mean, there's just no way that that's coming between his goals, and you know, I, he has to fly and he has to fly safely, and everybody with an allergy should be able to fly safely. So that's when I. That was my aha moment, I guess. Yeah. And it's so it's so difficult as well, because obviously ever ever every airline's obviously got like a different policy. When you did that initial kind of research, when you looked online and you realized your story is probably the tamest and there's much more hot kind of horror stories out there. Was there any kind of resources for to like you said, you've built this website now where you get testimonials and people can kind of submit their experiences. Was there anything like that at the time when you was looking? There was nothing. It was Nothing, literally yeah. so. Um, that's that's why. I mean, if there was something, I would have worked. I didn't need to reinvent the wheel if there was something. Yeah. <laughs> no. Was no I, mean, I mean, there was no resource for me. Yeah. yeah. And then how how's that been? Obviously, did over years and years is is it amazing? Obviously, to kind of to gather kind of everyone's kind of personal experience, and then obviously you kind of. It's incredible the work you've done, obviously, kind of changing the law. So obviously you can kind of board the flight early. Can we kind of talk a, a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, that actually came out. I went to a food allergy bloggers conference run by this incredible woman, Jenny Sprague. And um, I, instead of going into one of the sessions, I started talking with disability rights attorney, Mary Vargas, who's also a food allergy mom. And I was telling her that I was seeing a lot of people on American Airlines not being able to pre-board and clean. And not only that, American written policy specific to peanut allergy people. If you have a peanut allergy, you cannot pre-board. So she said, you know, yeah. right now we can't do anything about the food. You know, it's really hard to fight the people who are being kicked off. And she said, but this, this I believe is a violation blatantly of the Air Carrier Access Act send me the stories. 
And I sent her every single one until we found the right case. And then, um, you know, law was changed and it was incredible. It was really incredible. But it came out of that conversation from two food allergy moms that, you know, were doing this work pro bono. So, you know, it's it's really interesting that that that's how things happened. And I remember the New York Times had interviewed Mary and they had also interviewed the Department of Transportation and they had the Department of Transportation had actually said to the New York Times, food allergy is a disability under the Air Carrier Access Act and is entitled to the protections. And we had never seen that in print before. And I, I mean, it was a day of jubilation just to see yeah. that because then we knew what was coming after that. Because yeah. once we get established under the Air Carrier Access Act as like uh, necessitating accommodations, then we can build everything else from that. And that's sort of where we've I'm been. Around that, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I've had experience with American Airlines where they kind of ref refuse to do the announcement and literally there was like kicking off and she come over with an iPad and she's like waving it in my face being like, we don't have to do it. And I thought I was going to get shut off that flight that day. Yeah, won't make announcements on American. Having said yeah. that, they're one of the only airlines that voluntarily carries auto injectors. It's so strange. Oh, really? It's like so the counter opposite. Emergency where most airlines are not. Most airlines are carrying the yeah. vials and American is actually seeing that there's an issue. And and they've also changed some of their snacks to be food allergy friendly. And when I mean that, I mean like it's not going to be friendly to everybody, but they have some top eight snacks on there now, which is so they're obviously seeing a population coming up that's growing up that's more allergy heavy. And I and I think that, you know, when you look at some of the work coming out of um CFAR at Northwestern with Ruchi Gupta's group and Chris Warren, you're seeing that food allergy is a growing global epidemic. So the airlines that actually are acknowledging that are going to be better off economically if they have policies that welcome us because we're growing up and we're bringing that bottom heavy, you know, those stats, just like yourself, yeah. going to be the future business travelers and, and they are going to you know, pick airlines that have fair food allergy policies. And, and our research from our survey showed that just what I've been saying all along, but it's so gratifying to see it in statistics. So gratifying. I'm going to say it very slowly. You know, food allergy passengers are not as concerned with price or location of the airline. They're more concerned with the food allergy policy their own positive experience food allergy wise on that airline and other people's positive experiences. Because guess what? When food allergy passengers have a good experience, they take to social media, they take to Facebook, they take to Twitter, they take to Instagram. And they yeah. they want people to have that same positive experience because they know what it's like to have that negative experience. I, I, so couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's like building that trust. It's like when you go to a restaurant and they ask if anyone's got allergies and then go the extra mile to make sure the food is safe, then you, you're going to go back to that restaurant. And That's I've been right. saying this, like restaurant owners, like if you can like get the trust and, and go the extra mile, then they're going right. to keep coming back. So because yeah, it's, it's really weird that like obviously airlines are, are not doing that kind of thing. Food allergy customer, right? They become loyal, yeah. repeat customers consumers, right? And that's how any business thrives is repeat business. So airlines mm. need to flip the paradigm. We are not a burden. We are an economic potential. And if they look at us that way, everything can change. So that, yeah. now we have research. So I'm hoping, you know, slowly but surely that's that's going to be a shift in the landscape. And hopefully, hope I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I know 
because it's taken me nine years to get this far, that one has to be patient. Yeah. Everybody wants to come overnight. I want them to come overnight too, but realistically, change takes time and airlines resist all change, I've found. So it takes yeah. time for them, but we'll when, get there. When, when, when you did the policy to like board early and, and kind of wipe down the surfaces, like how do you start with with that? Obviously, did, did you write like a, did you do the research or did you write like a, did you do like a petition and get people to sign it? No, how, you know, how, no. no, that just came with bringing that, that case law, like bringing, collecting yeah. testimonials on my site, putting them together, getting with an attorney. And, and realizing that this is a right everyone with a food allergy has to, to board. That's incredible, and yeah. Because if you think about it, during a general board, especially if you have a young child with a food allergy, how are you going to like get in there and really clean? Mm. It's best done when other people aren't around and your child can stand. Yeah, because I've had, I've had allergic <laughs> reaction before oh, because um, basically I didn't wipe down the, the service and I, I fell asleep. And I woke up with hives on my arm, yeah. Um, because I was in the a rush, yeah. Or the yeah, or the to... so simple, and it mitigates yeah. so risk. And, and not only that, you know, how many times have I stuck my head under a seat when I'm pre boarding and, and picked up those peanuts? I mean, because and that's when so airlines scared, that yeah. don't serve peanuts. So, you know, I think that people get think that we're asking for too much, or we're, or or we're trying to game the system by getting on early. But that's not, there's no privilege in like sticking your head under a disgusting airline seat and sticking your, you know, there's no privilege yeah. in cleaning. And it's filthy, by the way. It's not just peanuts we pick up. So the planes are not being cleaned. We know that. Yeah. Maybe they're being cleaned during COVID. But now the turnaround, they're there's no bothered, way. Yeah. Even coming back from this conference, they let the, the previous occupants off the plane and 10 minutes later we're boarding. How could they possibly clean? Yeah. You know, it, impossible which is why we just need to get up a few minutes early and as far as being able to tell the people around us a lot of the pushback i get and still get is there's no science there's no science behind telling the people around you and i said this is what i said to it there may not be any science but human beings are disgusting they are messy and when they eat they're messy that's all you need to say i have spoken to people who have seen people catty corner from themselves shelling peanuts on top of a computer and then pushing the dust so, into the oven, right? To yeah. clean it off. That, I don't need science to if that dust flies up in my nose and he actually inhales it. It's not about airborne's per se, but that would be an airborne mm. exposure. You know, that, 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 that really, that really scares. Yeah. Cause that really scares me. And I'm, I'm getting a flight tomorrow to Madrid in Spain and it's a friend's stag do. So there's loads of us. And I thought it was with British Airways and I found out about an hour before this podcast, it's with Alberia. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. And their policies when I went online was they, they serve nuts. And I know they've, I read a few articles where people have like boarded the flight and they refuse to do the announcement and they still serve nuts on the flight. And I'm really stressed out now because yeah, it's, it's just so scary when obviously when you read up about these, these stories and then you, board a flight so yeah i'm very <laughs> anxious about yeah even if you don't pre-board which hopefully you can but it's i don't yeah. know how much that depends on each airline but as long as yeah. you clean surfaces especially on an airline that serves yeah. your allergen you, a lot of the risk goes down then you don't take yeah. the food even more risk you know goes down so i mean it's not ideal but you can fly 
What have, it, do, do, is there much research in, in regards to, for example, say if they they say to me, Dan, we'll do the announcement, but we're still gonna we're still gonna serve nuts on the fire, and I'm gonna wear a face mask anyway. Right. Is there chances of and I wipe down all the surfaces, but is there chances of me having an allergic reaction if someone a few rows behind me starts seeing a bag of nuts and the air circulated? I've heard that I wouldn't go into anaphylactic shock, but I might come out in a rash. Is that is there any is there much research I, into that? I mean, that seems to be accurate, um, especially if you're wearing a mask and you're careful yeah. about wiping down your surfaces. I still think they should be able to tell the people around you to be careful because why should you be anxiety provoked the entire flight? Yeah. I mean, that food come above above a person's well being. I will never understand. Mm. Like, and I bet you, if you tell the people around you, they'll they'll be careful. I, yeah, and for the most part, was, if you're respectful and you ask nicely, most people, not all people, which is why we need policies, but most people will be kind. Yeah. I have found, yeah. even on airlines that won't make announcements. Yeah, if they're not going to do an announcement, I was, I was literally going to say to the guys, there's 14 of us, we'll tell everyone on that buddy plane, I've got an you not to right. eat nuts if I have to, and I'll go to I, each I, person individually. People around them, like I have a life yeah. right allergy, I would really oh, that's you don't eat nuts around me just like little like business cards and people around them thank you yeah. so much for keeping me safe something like that i do know some people who do that yeah. there's these people use can we can we talk about the importance of dialogue um and kind of have, having that dialogue with obviously the crew staff or the air hostess when you do get in a plane and kind of mention you got an allergy i know you spoke very kind of openly about this online about doing it in a, in a calm manner can we kind of talk about that yeah, I, I think it's so easy to be triggered today in general. And flight crew are under so much stress and have so much responsibilities. And we assume as parents or as adults living with food allergies that people actually know what a food allergy is. And it's been my experience that since airlines do no food allergy training, most of them don't carry auto injectors. They actually don't know. They might think it's a runny nose. They might think like, why am I bothering to do any of this? On the flip side, if you come across as demanding and you you start talking about death, then the captain has the right to throw you off. I'm not saying that's right, but if he thinks or she thinks that you're going to have an attack, on, and they're going to have an emergency landing, they may think of you as too much as of a liability. So it's the yeah. language somewhere in the middle. It's really difficult. And sometimes you'll get a crew. The last, When I was on a flight for Josh was doing a tournament a couple of months ago, we were on a flight. United, actually. God help oh, me. Really? And literally, they tried everything to throw me off. They they tried to bait me into the, the captain wanted to throw me off. The flight attendant wanted me to throw me off just for disclosing the food allergy and asking if their own policy was that you could ask the crew to tell the people around you to be careful. I did not ask for suspension. I just asked yeah. to close. And they they were so incredibly rude. The captain really wanted, he dressed me down in a manner I've never been dressed down. Like, and I managed wow. to, um, I really did. Like people on my page are like, I would have been thrown off. I'm like, but what would they have gotten me? You know, he needed to get to this tournament. He's looking at me with these eyes. So finally, they came back after trying everything to like get me to leave. And they're like, well, do you have auto injectors? I'm like, I have six. And they're like, oh, well, then we could serve even him the nuts. And even if he ate them, like we could just use the pen. I what? mean, this 
you joking? And you know what? I I could have then taken that and gone nuts, no pun intended, but I just stayed silent because because they were going to kick us off if I said anything else. And we get up in the air, and they're making their way down food and beverage, and someone a couple rows behind us, I hear her say, you know, I was on a plane two weeks ago, and we had an emergency landing due to a nut allergy. If I were you, I would do something about it. And all of a sudden, they came and told the people around us to be careful. You know, I can't make it up. Like, of all people to pick on, they decided to pick on me. But being calm is really important. And it's interesting. So I got a message on Twitter from someone maybe three weeks ago, and they're like, I just read about, you know, your off- some awful testimonials on your site on Emirates, and I'm flying Emirates tomorrow, and my daughter has a food allergy, you know, what can I do? And it was one of those, I'm like, oh my God, like, what am I going to tell this? You know, I-, I know people have been thrown off. I know people have sat in the bathroom because they're doing nut service anyway. They're just what can I even say? It's kind of, I feel like impotent. And I said, the best thing I can advise you is it's up to the individual crew and be as kind as you can and try to explain things as nice as you can. And and they wrote back and they're like, thank you so much for your advice. We toned it down. We had a great experience. I'm not saying every Emirates crew will be that way, yeah. but had they gone on and said, I know you did this and I know you did that and my kid could die. Well, either they're not going to do anything or they're going to kick you off. And, and yeah. you should have to be this way for a legitimate disability in the air, but you know, you kind of have to, and it's, and it's no, really, it's, it's, no, it's really good to know. Cause yeah, my mindset kind of shifted about an hour before this podcast being like, Oh my God, I'm going to get this fight. What happens if they say no and you get all these thoughts run through my head. But I think there's a peace of mind knowing that like, cause I've had doctors on the podcast as well. And they said oh, the chances of it happening a really slim with airborne i'm talking about airborne not kind of like the traces but yeah it, it can be it can be quite scary really and yeah kind of starting that dialogue yeah i mean really the careful around you because like i said i had a college student sit next sit next to someone who opened up trail mix and it flew up in the air into his nose and he did go into anaphylaxis all you need to do is tell the people around you that that wouldn't have happened Right. If, if the person or I don't think they would have opened it and I'm sure yeah. they would have careful. So I think being able to dialogue for yourself and tell the people around you is is a really big help, even though yeah. there's no science behind it. And, and and it's really frustrating. I've heard there's no kind of federal policy um, if someone refuses or just carries on eating nuts after listening to the announcement, which is obviously. Yeah. Yeah, not only that, there, there's no ramifications if the airline doesn't follow their own policy. I mean, there's just no, mm. it's the Wild West. And this is global, yeah. right? You just don't know what you're going to get. Like, and it could be on the same airline, right? So that crew was wonderful on Emirates, but I could tell you nine other crews that weren't. You know, you just don't know which, and, and it could be that the crew going out is great. The same airline coming back is not. And and they're not penalized or fined mm. um, if, things don't go as they promised. So that's something we're going to address. I'm just one person and I have garnered quite a network, but there's baby steps, baby steps. We're talking. So what what is what? Yeah. This survey did show that, you know, there were quite a bit, few people, a good percentage of people that asked for an accommodation were told they would get the accommodation and didn't get the accommodation. There were also people who 
got the accommodation. And then 13, I think 13 or 14 percent of the people actually got asked to leave a plane, which is quite disturbing. That is very um, disturbing, that, yeah. That's one thing. And the one thing that really, really bothered me is 11.8% of people, um, you know, that was asked to leave a plane. Now I'm saying this again. There were people, I think a third of people didn't disclose their food allergy. That's that's the stat I'm looking for um, because yeah. they were repercussions from the crew. And I'll tell you what my problem is with that. So say it was you and you were a child and you were with your parents and they didn't disclose. Now you're learning not to disclose. Now you're on an airline that doesn't carry an auto injector. They're serving nuts all around you and you have a reaction, an inadvertent reaction. Maybe you touch yeah. the seat, your hand in your mouth, and now the crew thinks you're drunk or having a heart attack. They have no idea because you haven't disclosed. They don't have the right medicine to treat you and they don't know where yours is because you haven't disclosed. So that really concerns me that people are fearful of airline repercussions so they're not disclosing their allergy. That we have to address. How many airlines in the US have our injectors on the flight? I'm in the process of investigating that for allergic living because um, I've come across since COVID airlines that I thought were carrying them and they're not. The only airlines I know of at the moment, and it's not confirmed, American and Alaska. I don't know any other airlines yeah. at, at this point. I know Delta doesn't. I know United doesn't. Interestingly enough, United carries Narcan, but does not ca carry auto injectors. I, I, mm. I mean... So we have we have a lot of work to do in that arena. And then they're all supposed to carry vials of epinephrine, but the FAA has granted an exemption to five life-saving medicines, and one of them is the allergic concentration of epinephrine. And I've been collecting a lot of testimony from doctors saying they can't find the right concentration. So yeah, we have I've, I've, yeah, no, because I was going to say, I heard, heard online, even if they've got adrenaline, if you don't have a doctor on board then they can't administer the adrenaline. Have you heard about that? There's a bunch of things around that, right? So uh, yes, that's true. Unless unless someone on the ground talks through someone in the air, but it's very unlikely with a file. It's very, very unlikely. I mean, mm -hmm. even when, when I've gone to international conferences and research is presented, even doctors don't draw up the vial in a fast enough manner that's comparable to the Epi, EpiPen or or whatever other auto injector you have. So, you know, the auto injector is really what you want. And crew members are not trained in the vials. And I think back to the case of Natasha, who I'm sure you know, died on a British Airways yeah. flight. And this one of the saddest parts of the story to me is that the doctor treating her looked up at the crew and said, can you draw me up another vial of epinephrine? And they, according to uh, sources in the UK, the crew members said we're not trained to do that, but that's not the saddest part. The saddest part is British Airways voluntarily carries auto injectors, and there more than likely was one there. Would it have made a difference? Unclear, but that was like another aha moment for me. It's not enough to get them on the planes if you don't have the training and the staff doesn't know where it is. You got to yeah. have, you know, because because I've had the family on the podcast and are oh, speaking to Tanya Nadim and how the way Nadine explained it, oh God, like honestly, like broke, like broke me. And um, it was really, really sad, really, really sad um, of kind of what happened. In regards to then, is there any airlines um, in the testimonials which, which always come up where they've been really good with allergies? 
Delta, British Airways, EasyJet, Ryanair, JetBlue. Because yeah, because I know that obviously uh, Easy. I know EasyJet have a banned nuts. I remember that like a, a few years ago, and I thought that was incredible. Be great to kind of see other airlines follow suit, and 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 I feel like we're not asking for too much by saying like don't eat nuts on a flight. A, like yeah. You know, so I was having this back and forth. I don't know if I call it an argument or an animated discussion with with mm. the airline, right? And someone had booked a ticket with TAP and they just wanted to know, were peanuts offered as a snack? And the Twitter person just kept going back. We cannot guarantee that nuts won't be served. And, the, and we definitely can't tell you that you'll be safe because we're not going to police you know, anything that other people bring on board. So I got involved. I retweeted it. And I went back to them. I'm like, I understand completely that you cannot police what other people bring on board. But can you tell me, are peanuts ever an offering on any of your snack offerings on any of your flights, right? Totally yeah. reasonable question. It's yes or no. They or no, will not, yeah. would not give me an answer. And they kept going back saying, understand what we're saying, Leanne. We can't guarantee what other people. And I'm like, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> I just want you. And it, they know the question. It's, it's, it's so like a black or white. Yeah, it's like black or white. Like, just give us an answer. And I know, yeah. Say you have to go to Portugal for your next, you know, and, you, and you're choosing between them and another airline. And you preferentially would like an airline that doesn't serve your air, allergen, you know. And you're trying to do the research and they can't even give you a straight answer. I mean, isn't that ridiculous that the policies so are bad? Yeah. They can't give you an answer. Yes or no. Because... Maybe you're going to pick EasyJet or Ryanair, you know, to get there because even if it's further, even if it costs a little more, you know, it's 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 ludicrous that we can't get basic information. And and we find that in the U.S. too. I especially find that for people who have seafood allergies and they just want to know, are you serving shrimp? Are you serving, you know, what I'm allergic to? And and the airlines just won't tell them. And it's, it's, it's so difficult. Yeah, you know? it must be so frustrating. And with fish as well, the protein is more likely, I've had some podcasts, to carry over and then for them to go into anaphylactic shock. So like fish <laughs> is actually potentially more dangerous than nuts in some ways because of the protein, yeah. I mean, and you know that they set these menus like months ahead mm -hmm. of time. So please don't tell me you don't know what's in your food or what you're yeah. serving. Of course they know. This is how an airline is run. Yeah. So Can we talk about special meals as well? I know we kind of, Touch on it just before the podcast. Um, you and your viewers may not like my opinion, but to me, I'll give you a great example. So someone ordered a vegan meal the other day on Twitter and they said, my flight was ruined because chicken came in the side, my vegan meal, real chicken, right? So, oh my God. <laughs> and can you imagine if, you know, it, can you imagine if it was a real allergy? That's what they had said. And mm. I'm like, it was obviously a mistake from the catering facility. It was inside the sealed meal that was vegan. And, and you hear things yeah. like this all the time, whether it's like a wheat roll being served to someone that has either a gluten intolerance or a full-fledged gluten allergy. And we hear about recalls on the ground every day. You know, there's another company saying, oops, you know, this happened in manufacturing or this has undisclosed peanut in it or the wrong label went on. Why on earth would you take that risk up in the air? This is a risk we can eliminate. We can take, you know, I've had people say, well, I had a reaction to the chocolate cake and they told me there were no nuts in it. I'm like, what are you doing taking chocolate cake up in the air? Like, it's it's awful that you went into anaphylaxis and it's awful that they told you that there were no nuts in that. 
but staff are not trained on cross contamination. You know, they're they're not. I don't. They don't I don't eat anything. Like if I'm right. up in that air, you won't catch me eating anything unless I brought the food on myself or right. it's Chris right. exactly. maybe. But yeah, we flew to South Africa. I I was born in South Africa, and I want to take my family back there. And a couple of years ago, we all went. And for Josh, I had an entire bag of non-perishable foods and they even had a sealed South African Airways was phenomenal and they had a sealed meal that said not not allergy on and I'm like I'll take the fruit <laughs> I'll take some milk and here's yeah. the cereal from home because guess what no meal when did you ever dine even if you're in business class when did you ever dine on a meal where you said my god I can't wait to fly that airline again because that meal was <laughs> I just can't wait to eat on it again yeah. no meal no. is Right? Nope. No, no, it's, it's actually, no, it's really insightful. I actually had Mark Walpole, who I think actually recommended yourself. And obviously he works a lot with obviously special meals and making sure they're allergy free and stuff. And um, it's a really difficult one. And I think it's, it's absolutely incredible, obviously making food, which is safe. Me personally, and I, I'm sure I said this to Mark as well, like I still don't eat food on an airline because I've got an allergy. And even if it is 100, 1000% safe, for me, it's just not even worth it if it's like not eating anything. And, and, and it, it just brings that anxiety as well. It, there's so many implications to it as well. And for me, yeah, I'd rather just like not eat any food. So if this flight tomorrow is two and a half hours, right. I will not be eating anything. <laughs> Maybe right. before the flight, but not during the flight. Like. Don't have from them like consistent, like being able to tell people around you or suspension of your allergen service or being able to get on the plane early. Like all that comes way before arguing like we need safe meals. That should be the last on our list because that we can control and we can bring our own food. We may not like it, but but that's the reality. And what's again, what's go ahead. What's the next sets? What's the next sets for you then? So obviously, well, there's I, there's loads of different hurdles we need to get over. But what is the the kind of next hurdle for yourself? I, I'd like to take this. So so we only um we only presented preliminary data at the Quad AI conference on the airline survey. We had almost 5,000 respondents, which is incredible from what wow, I hear. that's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them came from my website because we can, we can track that. But, but we had advocates across the globe, uh, in the UK, in Australia. So in Canada, we, we had a, a good amount of global participation and we need to weed through all the data now. So not not we, Chris Warren, our genius epidemiologist and Richie Gupta's group is going. So so there was a physician who asked um, a question at the conference and she said, um, why did everybody use their own personal auto indicator? Because there were 400 react in-flight reactions reported in the survey. And um, most of the people, I think there were only three cases where they actually used an airline's medication. One was a violin, two were auto injectors. I can't tell you what airline because that hasn't been teased out yet. So her question, which was very valid, I thought is, are people not using it because the medic right medication's not there? So that'll be very interesting because we are trying to get auto injectors on all planes and they should be on all planes. It's absolutely ridiculous that they're not. I mean, it's best practice medicine. It's easy. It's not like we don't have access it, they just should be there because up in the air, as what happened with Natasha and other airline reactions, an airline um, a reaction can go south very quickly. So mm. there's no PR. So you yeah, because to- I know 
And because I know that that's the outcome. Yeah. Because I know with Natasha, they used the art injector twice, the personal art injector, and obviously that wasn't enough. Right. Um. So obviously, like, like I said, it's so important. Obviously, if we can get kind of adrenaline kind of on points. Um, we are concurrent with education for staff on food allergies and knowing where the adrenaline is. Because even in the United States, there was a case that I interviewed a doctor who ended up drawing up a vial because the kit was so disorganized. It was American Airlines. He couldn't find the avocue, but the avocue was there. (laughs) But he didn't have time. This person was devolving very quickly. He found the vial and he knew how to use it. And he was an ER doc. So he was, you know, very adept at doing what he did. But that's ridiculous. It was there. So and, and and I'm we also have some exciting news coming down the pike with nasal epinephrine and sublingual epinephrine nearing approvals in the U.S. Um, potentially. So can oh, you wow. imagine it's just a nasal spray on an airline? I mean, that's going to be a game changer, especially just, for men. Just so your nose? Yep. Oh, my and God. It, and imagine it's a lot smaller than carrying uh, a massive epinephrine. Yep. Oh, my God. In your pocket. I think it'll be a game changer for the whole industry. Wow it'll yeah, come yeah. as well because um, I, I carry two and I'm trying to carry two on nights out like my pockets are just like bulging like um usually I get my girlfriend to carry one in a in a purse right. or whatever and I, I carry right. one but that's incredible because I've been saying this for years and years like obviously the EpiPen is monopoly of obviously the art injectors and it's crazy to think of the last like 20 30 years it's not got like any smaller it's still like I've got one here actually, so it's so massive. Right. Yeah. When you think about a lot of fatalities, they don't actually have their auto injectors on them. So I'm hoping that a smaller device will um, encourage more more people to use it. So let's let's hope mm. that they come to market and get approval. I hope so because yeah, because I think like, when, when, when when I mentioned me, I was in like restaurants and and you always get people be like, oh, like do you have an auto injector? And I say, well, yeah. And a lot of time they're like, oh, I know. A lot of people come here with allergies and they don't have an art injector. They just don't carry the EpiPen, which is, yeah, it's so dangerous and yeah, scary. Yeah, I mean, and and another reason for the place to have backup, like I'll tell you an interesting story. So there was a young girl who was going to Italy and her parents were going. She had booked her ticket last minute. Her parents were going on a different flight, but they all left out of the same airport. So I guess her mom was holding her auto injector, even though she was 19 or 20. And when the flights took off, she took off without the auto injector. The mom had the auto injector and she decided to eat the chicken meal on the plane because it didn't look like it had any peanuts in it. And she went into anaphylaxis and they didn't carry auto injectors. They didn't have the allergic concentration of the vials there. So the physician who was luckily an orthopedic surgeon had to jerry rig a Bristojet device, which I've never heard of, that had cardiac concentration. And like after she got it out, she then had to draw it out of a syringe and titrate it into the right concentration. And the only reason she knew the right concentration is because she had a child with a food allergy. So, oh, my God. I, right? She's so, so lucky. She's so lucky. And, and just like I think that people in the world around us expect us to be perfect. Like there's such judgment even from within the community. In the community – and, and journalists and people outside the community on social media, like, why weren't you carrying your epinephrine? This is your fault. But can you imagine being expected to be at perfection no matter what situation mm-hmm. every day? Yet for us with food allergies, 
falling below the mark of perfection can lead to tragic consequences. There's reasons why we should have them in public spots, like we have defibrillators. I mean, A, you can have a a first-time reaction, and anyone can forget something, even the most diligent person. I mean, I consider myself diligent. I consider my son diligent. And yet, how many times have I driven to his tennis place to pick up the auto injector he's left on the court? I mean, well, yeah, I've, has- I've gone to the office before and then completely forgot it and had to like come home and get it. And like the day I had allergic reaction on the flight, um, I didn't go into anaphylactic shock, but obviously I come out of hives. I did have my EpiPens with me in my pocket. However, I forgot my antihistamine. It was in the suitcase. So luckily right. one of their hostess had antihistamine because she had allergies and she had quite strong ones. So that luckily like helps me like calm down. But Right. Yeah, but yeah, I can't yeah. be expected to be perfect when no one else in the world, like who who made allergy people perfect? I mean, no one else in the world is perfect, right? Human beings yeah. make mistakes. Mistakes, yeah, absolutely. Perfect. And I know yeah. you obviously do, you do obviously your feature contributor for kind of the Huffington Post, Kevin MD, and kind of the airline correspondent and allergic living. Um, is that been something you've been doing for the, the past couple of years now? It got started as as an as a as an argument on Twitter with somebody. Actually, oh, really? <laughs> I never wrote for my life. I was someone had come up with an article on Yahoo with the top ten reasons flying sucks, and I think number six or seven, whatever number it was, was the asshole kids with peanut allergies who've ruined it. Oh wow! And I was on Twitter and like I was just so angry. I'm like, do you think it's okay for someone in the mainstream media to call a kid with a peanut allergy an asshole? And this guy and I were bantering back and forth. He thought I was joking. (laughs) You wasn't. (laughs) Edited Huffington Post. And he said, write me something about this. And I I literally stayed up all night and wrote it because I thought he would change his mind. I submitted it. And he's like, okay, write me some more. You know, and that's kind of where it started. He's no longer there. And and I don't really write for them anymore. But I've written for The Mighty. And I, 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 like I said, my main writing is for Allergic Living Magazine as the airline correspondent. And then I, I, I definitely write to Kevin M for Kevin MD um, because I feel like we need to educate the doctor population. Like I was saying before, my la- latest article for Kevin MD was on food allergy tragedies because a lot of doctors I meet wherever you go in the world and, and journalists as well and people who are very well intentioned keep telling me, but you know it's more likely that you're going to be struck by lightning or being in a car accident and have a fatal reaction. But what they're missing is what I was talking to you before, is that the mistake that led to the fatal reaction is not some outlandish, crazy mistake that my kid would never make. It's an ordinary mistake that anybody could mm-hmm. make. And and that's what makes it stressful so that the low statistics of death, while comforting on its face, don't comfort as much as people think they would. Because, you know, mm-hmm. the, la- the the girl who died recently in California who left her auto injector on the party bus and the party bus went off and and the kids were doing CPR on her in the parking lot. I mean, while her auto injector was bye-bye, anyone could leave it, right? Anyone could leave that. Yeah, I mean, no, I heard about the, the yeah. I've got someone told me a story the other day where I think they're at in a restaurant and they left it on the coach. I think it's a very, it might have a similar story and they had to run three miles, right. get the EpiPen and three miles back. And, right. Yeah. Like the allergen, you can't, you know, and there have been cases mm. of that. There was someone in university 
a few weeks I mean, at the beginning of the year that Allergic Living reported on, you know, someone who it had never happened to before and, mm. and he died. Because I, ta- I, ta- I, ta- I talked about this like recently. Um, so basically the, the new season started on Monday. I had Professor Adam Fox and we kind of spoke about obviously the likelihood of fatal anaphylaxis in the UK is quite low. But I think a lot of parents think it's a lot higher than what it is. And then I think someone in the US commenting, well, you've not considered the US. But I was like, well, no. On the podcast, if you listen to it, it was talking about the UK demographic. Um, but yeah, I think I think with social media, I've always said like, when on, even on social media, it's always at the forefront and, and it feels like it, it could happen. And like you said, it is very slim, but it's good to have these conversations as well because I think it's so important because... I thought it was a lot higher than what it was. And it does give me a little bit of peace of mind that is a, is lower than a thing. But then you hear about over the past like month, I think there's been like three algae deaths. Um, ah. Five now. God, that's what I mean. So you hear this, but then obviously a quick Google search, like that, that's, that's too many. One's enough, but then five in, in, in the last like month or two is is a tragedy. Yeah. And I, I, again, what I think is that the mistakes they made, anyone can make. And I'm not saying that you should walk around being fearful all the time, but throwing low statistics in someone's face isn't necessarily the whole answer to tampering their anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right. But thankfully, it is low. But you never know who's going to make that mistake. And who's, you know, going to have that reaction. So, you know, we do have to be careful. We do have to be proactive on the ground and in the air and speak up for ourselves, do it in a kind manner, not get alarmist. That doesn't usually help. You know, use whoever you have in the UK or the US as resources. I've always found like when mistakes have happened at school, I use an allergic living article even before I started writing because instead of me being the parent that becomes hysterical, you know, that so, so I got into school one day and I was adding something to Joshua's epinephrine kit and the, the nurse was not on, was absent. And the substitute nurse took 30 minutes to find his auto injector kit. Oh, she, to find the key to the cabinet. And then she took another 15 minutes to find the kit. And, and I, I, did address it right away. But one of the ways I addressed it was showing them articles on delayed epinephrine and how that led to more tragedies or worse outcomes in the hospital. And and that really got them to act as opposed to me going, oh my God, he could have not. You know, they just, and he could have. If, if he had a reaction at lunch that day and something was unsafe, like, but but knowing how to have the arguments with other people and using either statistics from your advocacy groups or a resource that's respected like allergic living, I I think goes a long way. And we do know now that a lot of schools do lock up epinephrine and it is something to be addressed. I don't know if that's something that's in the UK or or not, but it's- it's I've heard, heard, yeah, I've definitely heard about it before being locked away, even before you discuss what happened from your own personal experience of it being locked away or not being able to kind of find it, which is obviously kind of yeah, it's really scary if, if that happens to kind of any parent kind of thing. And another self-carry, right? And teach children at a young age who always have their medication on them. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So there's a lot we can do. A, a yeah, lot we can go- 
there's more we can control than what we can't. And I think that is heartening. So instead of telling me the low statistics, yes, it may make you feel better, but tell me what I could do to, to like not be part of those statistics. Like what are the tools you can give me? Always carry your auto injector. Don't take a meal on a plane. Get on the, if, even if you can't get on board, make sure you wipe down every area um, on mm. that plane. Honestly, like that, because I never used to do that, and and I don't know if it was just like me just being a bit quasi, like this isn't going to happen to me. I don't know. I just I just never did it. I never really thought about it to be honest. Like, and I'm so vocal about my allergy, and and I have been for for years, and I've had making same for the last five years, and it's not. And I've heard about people used to you know cover the whole seats and stuff, and I, I kind of understood it, but then I was like, oh, like what is the chat but like it does happen and I think that's just me being really honest as well like this flight tomorrow I'll definitely get some anti-back wipes from the airport or or tonight and just make sure that I've got them in hand but get your hands on a disposable seat cover it's not a bad idea to put it on if it's an airline that serves your allergen Mm. it's not necessary but what was it was, was there any like Obviously, when when you recently um, had the meeting in, in, was it in March or, you know, the recent meeting in regards to the airlines? It was last week. Last week. Was there, any, was there anything what really kind of shocked you or anything you was unaware about which kind of took your attention? About the airlines specifically? Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, I mean, really everything I expected came, came up. Came from uh, that, yeah. You know, but it, what it surprised people is that 98% of people who fly with food allergies have anxiety. That's a pretty high statistic. I didn't expect mm. it to be that high. I knew people were stressed flying, but 98 is pretty high. And some people can say, well, maybe you you know, surveyed an anxious population to begin with. But I will say that a third of those people reported positive experiences on airlines, yet they're still anxious. So I don't think so. I just think that I don't think there's any resource. I don't think there's any resource for people with anxiety and allergy. And 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 I've had clinical psychologists on the podcast, and there's very few of them as well. Whereas like in the US, with like Mount Sinai, they get that support where they get a clinical psychologist to help the kid with allergy, anxiety, and everything else. That's where we had our. They didn't used to have. I was never offered clinical support as far as psychology. No, and my son was in a clinical trial. I sought it out myself when he started having started talking to kids at school about dying because he had to do a challenge. And, you know, we've had support ever since. But it was not right now. It's the thing to do. But it wasn't back then. You know, it wasn't. So I don't know if they just didn't have the staff or if you didn't ask for it. But now that kind of stigma has really gone away and it is more um, offered in practices in the United States, but I think we have a That's long incredible. way to go. And and mm-hmm. I would ask people to think about like, if, if you have had a reaction that has landed you in the hospital, I mean, can you imagine not being anxious if the person next to you is munching on your allergen, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, cheese puffs, if you're allergic to dairy or peanuts, if you're allergic to peanuts, cashews, if you're allergic, you know, fish being served as a meal, of course it's anxiety provoking. It, it, it wouldn't be normal if you weren't anxious. You know, it's great that it's yeah because it's great that obviously in the US to get that support in the, in the UK it's like they're, they're under resourced so obviously like, I know there's nurses on strike at the minute as well because of pay and yeah well, there's there just is, not there's yeah. a wonderful resource called the food allergy counselor and she has a lot of downloads and sheets that you could even you know anyone oh, wow. where you live I 
she provides actual clinicians. She has a directory in the United States, but she also does a lot of helpful posts on, you know, dealing with tragedies and how, how to talk to your children, how to think about it yourself. And they're all like ways to positively shift the mental status. And I, I think you could, you know, you could send people there as a resource no matter where they live. Yeah, I was going to say in regards to like, I mean, brings me on to the next question, which works well. In, in regards to like resource with parents with kids with allergies, is, is there any kind of go-to websites you use or uh, you could send parents? I mean, I, I know I'm biased, but I love allergic living for no matter where yeah. you are in the globe because they tackle all the issues and there's every topic that you ever want, like how to get a babysitter and, you know, how to eat out in a restaurant and how to travel. I mean, there really is an article on everything. And what makes allergic living different is it's, it's all journalists and everything's vetted by the editor. And so, you, you know, you're getting fact-based, scientifically backed recommendations for the most part. Um, I mean, there are opinion pieces as well, but they're, they're all, all hugely helpful. And then, and then any of the advocacy groups, you've got fact, you've got food allergy fund. There, there, there are just so many in the United States. You've got allergy and asthma network. You've got AFA, um, allergy and asthma foundation of America. Um, there's fair. I mean, so there are a lot of different places that you can look up resources in the United States yeah. and you have, you know, your, your groups in the UK and in anaphylaxis and allergy network in Australia. I mean, there's, 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 there are definitely resources for everybody. And the good news is, is we live in a global world. So anyone can, you know, get onto those advocacy group pages. And, you know, sometimes I share things from, Natasha's group, right? Because it's hugely, I mean, they have hugely, um, I think, impactful posts on, you know, their experience with her growing up with her allergies. And, you know, I think they're always looking to prevent other tragedies. And, you know, but sometimes I'll share something from Australia, because they'll just have something that, you know, they're talking about summer camps in a totally different season than what we are. But I feel like it's so well written that our readers, you know, will, will learn from it as well. And so I think it was one of your advocacy groups. I can't remember which one that did the, um, the video on what happens when you leave your auto injector behind. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Um, if you leave it behind, I don't think so. Um, video of a young girl who left her auto injector behind and then she's on the merry-go-round at the park and then she, she oh, gets, Oh, that's the anaphylaxis campaign. Yeah. It's um, a great, great video. And I, I've shared that yeah. time and time. And I mean, I, I know yeah, what's it's really powerful. Yeah. It'll get a gulp in my throat every time I see that video. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be that you're in the United United States, you go to this. I think because we're in a global world, you, you can go anywhere and, and get these resources and also see what research people are doing. And, you know, I think that we're very blessed in that sense and that we're not stuck in where we are to get information. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Um, honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure kind of having you on the podcast to kind of share your story. If anyone wants to kind of get in touch with yourself, you will draw, I share your kind of Twitter and your different handles on your website. Sure. sure. I, the one I'm on the least is Instagram and that's because I'm older than you are. I'm just not. <laughs> I'm so sad. Oh, well, you're not much older than me. <laughs> but, but, Twitter, but Twitter and Facebook, I, I'm always yeah. there. I'm always on. So I'll always respond there. But sometimes it'll take yeah. me a few to respond. 
on Instagram because I won't even realize they've left me a message. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really use Twitter. I'm the opposite. Instagram and now TikTok is like, oh, there's I another one. Never- I don't have a TikTok account. And so, you know, I'm, I'm behind the. I, I think it's more of a younger thing, but maybe not. Yeah, I think, I I think so. But yeah, then I, I think like older people are using it now. So yeah, it's like, it's it's getting it's getting older, but it's always going to be a Gen Z platform. Um, but yeah, it's all about being yourself and authentic. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> you gotta learn, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. I'm like, I don't have enough time to do what I'm doing. Like, I don't want to be, you know, but eventually the dinosaurs eventually. will- yeah, we'll take over it. <laughs> no, yeah, thank, thanks again and uh, thanks so much.